You're going where? You're doing what? Are you crazy, Aunt Tam? Make sure you subscribe. Welcome to Many Roads Traveled. I'm Tamara, and I have one question for you. Do you love to travel? Awesome! Well, then I invite you to join me on my 30,000-mile road trip from Paris to Cape Town back to Nairobi. One more thing. We'll be traveling back in time to 1993 before the internet, Google Maps, and cell phones. However, not to worry because I do give you up-to-date info on each episode. Plus, you can always find more information on my website, manyroadstravel.com. So, without further ado, let's hit the road! Hello out there, it's episode 53! And guess what? It's also my one-year anniversary. Well, technically on the 30th of August, or July, but hey. That's a day or two between friends. So I just want to say thank you so much for listening with me this whole year. Uh, really, really appreciate it. So I hope you've enjoyed the adventures. And now that I've reached Cape Town, so it took me a year to get from Paris to Cape Town. And then I went over to Durban, South Africa, where I worked as a bartender for six weeks in a crazy club that I found out while I was still working there, <laughs> that it was owned by the mafia or like... So it was pretty dodgy, but I managed to save some money. And then I decided to have the bright idea, instead of flying from Johannesburg to London, England, because I decided I wasn't going to go back to Canada, I was going to move to England. I am half British, so that helps. But uh, that I would hitchhike back up to Nairobi from Durban, South Africa, because it was cheaper to fly from Nairobi to London than Joburg to London. And I figured, well, I've already come down, the, you know, all the way down from Paris. So, you know, going up half of Africa, that won't take me very long. Well, it took me like three months. <laughs> so, so this episode, we're basically, I'm leaving Durban after six weeks and living, well, meeting and then living with my great, great uncle, Uncle Dougie, who I'd never met before, but he was kind enough to let me stay in his apartment, which was right on the, the Golden Mile Beach, right in Durban. So it was a beautiful spot. And also it was only about a 20-minute walk to my work, too, which was very handy. Though he was a little bit kind of over-controlling, and I felt like I was 14 again, because he'd be like, well, when are you going to be home? Where, how, who are you going out with? Did it all. I'm like, oh my God, <laughs> I'm 23. Well, actually, I was 24 now, because I turned 24 in Africa. I appreciated everything he did for me. It was awesome, but I was ready to get back on the road going solo again because I had been traveling with four other people for about two months from Zimbabwe, Namibia, down to Cape Town. It was awesome because they had a Land Rover so with a uh, seat on the roof, which was awesome because I sat up there all the time and I could just see Africa 360. It was amazing. So I say goodbye to Uncle Dougie. And one of my good friends, who's actually a bouncer at the club, it's called Sand Pebbles. It might still be there. Who knows? So he managed to drop me off at the Pinetown toll gate where I started my hitching. And this was the first time, I think, maybe, I don't know, that I was hitching on my own. I might have done some hitching on the way down by myself. But anyways, I was like, okay, here we go. <laughs> so I got picked up pretty quickly and got to a place called Peter Matzeberg. And then I got another ride, was on the back of a pickup truck for about 30k. And then I got another ride with this really lovely guy from Durban, actually, called Colin. 
And he even took me to his girlfriend's for lunch. <laughs> and then we to the grocery store so I could pick up I could pick up some groceries because I was going to be in the mountains for a little while. And then drove the last 20K to Sandy Lodge, which is near the Sandy Pass. So I'm in the Drakensberg Mountains, which are absolutely stunning, right? So I'm still in South Africa. But when we got to the lodge, which is really cute, like it was very rustic. It looks it reminded me of my cottage that my grandfather built in Canada. So it was pretty small, but very sweet. There was a couple other people there. It was German, three South African guys. So I managed to get uh, a bed in the dorm with just one other guy. So that was really cool. It was only like $3.50 or something at the time. So sweet. But unfortunately, the weather was crap. It was the coldest I'd been in weather I'd been in for like months, basically. So it was only about 10 degrees Celsius. <laughs> Didn't really have a lot of, you know, warm clothes. And it was also super misty, so I couldn't even see the, you know, the area, which kind of sucks. So I kind of went to bed hoping that the weather would be better tomorrow, because obviously I wanted to do some hiking. So I got up the next morning. It had been, like it was drizzling in the morning, but it kind of let off. So about 10 in the morning, I was like, okay, I'm going to go for like a four or five hour hike, which is called Sociobob, <laughs> Sociobob Path, something like that. So I was like, okay, that's cool. And the the lodge had given me big aerial map because, like I said, it's in the mountains where you're in lots of valleys and things like that. So I took off and then I had to climb over two ridges and took a couple hours because they were, you know, a couple thousand meters high. So not just little hills. <laughs> and then when I got to the bottom of the third ridge, which was kind of the summit up to this, you know, the mountain I was trying to get up to started raining again it was getting quite misty again so I was like oh this sucks because I was kind of you know one more and I would have made it but I don't know I was pissing around I was climbing here and there doing stuff I don't even know what I was doing <laughs> and then the next thing I know the weather cleared so it stopped raining the mist was gone I could see everywhere I was like and realized I was actually halfway up the last ridge so I was like hmm let's gun it let's do it so climbed up because at this point i've been hiking for at least three hours so i'm getting up to the top of the, the mountain finally make it to the top which was awesome but of course like literally as soon as i got to the top the weather just turned and it was so like foggy misty foggy whatever you want to call it i could barely see like 10 feet in front of me it was like, oh my God, what have I done? <laughs> and it started raining. I was like, this is not good. And so I'm at the top. And because I'd been walking around the top, I'd not be able to see where I'm going. So I've lost track of the pathway. I'm like, oh my God. I decided, okay, well, why don't I like kind of, because there was kind of like a goat path, I guess, along the face of the mountain. <laughs> I don't know what I was thinking. So I'm literally kind of almost hugging the wall. And I'm walking, because I thought for some reason I would be able to see clear. I might be able to pick up the path from when I'm on the, the edge of the mountain rather than the top. So I'm walking about half an hour. And like I said, I can now see maybe a few feet in front of me. Like, that's it. And all of a sudden the clouds clear for like five seconds. And I realize, like, I'm on a pathway that's maybe a foot wide. And if I would have tripped or just stepped to the side, I would have dropped 2,000, 3,000 meters <laughs> to my death. I was like, 
okay, this is stupid. I need to get off this, <laughs> like the face of the mountain, get back to at least the top or something. So yeah, get back up to the top, walking around again, then think there is a pathway. I'm like, oh yeah, there's a pathway. And now it's like, it's pouring down. And I'm just like, oh my gosh. At this point, I only had like a pair of shorts on, some wool socks, my running shoes. I didn't even have hiking shoes or boots because I'd sent those back to Canada months and months before, very stupidly. I'm just like, oh my God. So I just kind of like, okay, well, just keep your head down and follow the path and come down the mountain. So that's what I did. Finally, you know, after whatever amount of time, 45 minutes or so, get down to the bottom, see the pathway. I'm like, oh my gosh, there we go. Well, this pathway is a lot, like it seemed like it went on forever. I'm like, and I don't see any other landmarks that I saw before. What's going on? Like, where am I? So I just follow the path. Uh, no, it stopped in the middle of a little forest. <laughs> and then there was nothing. And I was just like, oh my God. Right. I have no idea where I am. And I mean, the map's not helpful because I don't know where I am. So <laughs> I could see where the lodge was, but I didn't know where I was. So I'm like, okay, maybe I've just gone too far down the valley. So then I start backtracking. I climb another like ridge, kind of a hill. Like, no, no, nothing. There's nothing. I can't see anything. And now I'm starting to worry, like for real. And next thing I know, it's 6 p.m. And in Africa, when the sun goes down, which is around 6 to 7, it's black. Like, there's not really much dusk. It's just like beautiful sunset, dark. <laughs> I'm just like, oh, my God. And I remember just sitting on, like, just sitting down. Because, you know, I've been walking since 10 in the morning, and it's 7 p.m. It's one of the only times I actually cried on this whole trip in 16 months. The other time was when I almost died in the truck accident in Ethiopia. And maybe, actually, maybe I did cry when I had malaria. But, I mean, there are extreme things where I think I'm going to die. <laughs> I can remember just, but it kind of cleared my head, de-stressed me a little bit. And I'm like, okay, let's think practically. What do I have to do? I have to find somewhere because I'm out here for the night, <laughs> whether I like it or not. So I need to, and at least it had stopped raining. So that was good. Although I was completely soaking wet. I find the, the forest, like a little forest. So I'm thinking, okay, well, you know, hopefully there's some wood that's dry that because it's in the forest, the trees might've protected it. And I'm like, okay, well, this forest is my bed for the night, I guess. So I managed to, yeah, collect some dry sticks and things like that. And luckily, in my day bag, like backpack that I brought with me, I had last minute throw threw a lighter in there. So I had a lighter. I had a knife because before I left for this trip, my uncle gave me this six inch blade bone handle knife, <laughs> which I never thankfully had to use in self defense or anything like that. But it actually gave me some security. So. I had thrown that in there for whatever reason, and I had like my water bottle, but of course I drank quite a bit of it, not thinking I was not going to be going home that night. And I had some snacks, so I had some almonds and some apple slices. And then for clothes, yeah, like I said, I was wearing shorts, some wool socks, shoes, and a t-shirt. I did bring a sweatshirt and a wind jacket, and I had a really thin, thin pair of cotton trousers. So once I got the fire going, I kind of took off mostly everything <laughs> and to, to dry them, basically. So because I'm like, OK, I don't want to get hypothermia because it went down, I think, seven degrees Celsius. Like it was not warm. 
I would hear animal noises because there's all sorts of wild animals in these valleys, right? Probably leopards, I would have guessed, if anything, that could kill me. (laughs) And, you know, they hunt at nighttime. So I'm like, awesome. So I was like, okay, I have to keep this fire going. That's just the main for heat and for protection from the animals. And now a quick sponsor break. Please, please, please never travel without travel insurance. Trust me, I learned once from the hard way and never again. (laughs) This is the travel insurance company that I use and they're awesome. They cover over 130 different countries. So go check them out. Manyroadstravel.com forward slash insurance, double L and traveled. And don't leave home without it, as the saying goes. (laughs) Okay, now back to the show. And don't forget... Please, please, please never travel without travel insurance. Trust me, I learned once from the hard way and never again. (laughs) This is the travel insurance company that I use and they're awesome. They cover over 130 different countries. So go check them out. Manyroadstravel.com forward slash insurance, double L and traveled. And don't leave home without it, as the saying goes. (laughs) Not only is it great for you, but it also helps support the show. Thank you. So I kind of would drift off a little bit, but then I'd wake up because I'd be cold and the fire had almost gone out. So then I'd have to go and find more trees. Oh, I did have a flashlight. I had a torch with me too, thankfully. Yeah, that was my night, basically, like laying down, dozing for a little bit, and then waking up again and getting the fire going. So really no sleep at all. So I waited till the sun came up, and then about 6.30, I started off again. And so left the forest. And then on the other side, of it, I could see that actually there were some rendezvous, like uh, huts. But it was on the other side of the ridge. And I had to cross two rivers <laughs> by foot. No, no bridges. <laughs> like, you know, I'm in the wilderness, basically, right? Cross the two rivers, of course, soaking wet feet. And then climb this bloody hill <clears throat> to get to the rendezvous. Well, no, they're deserted. No one has used these for ages. But nearby, luckily, I saw some fresh cow manure. And I'm thinking, okay, where there's cows, there's farmers. <laughs> so I literally just followed the cow manure. <laughs> like I'm following cow shit <laughs> to save me. And that is what saved me, really, cow shit. <laughs> and then I could start hearing cowbells. So I'm like, okay, I'm getting closer to the cows. Please let the farmer, you know, be close by. After about another half an hour or so walking, came across a local farmer who spoke a little bit of English and his two young daughters. I shocked them completely because <laughs> like, there's this white chick just coming out of nowhere. And I'm like, what? <laughs> so I got my map out and, you know, I kind of you know, pointed to where I wanted to go in the Sandy Lodge. And he's like, yeah, you are way off track. Like this is called Vimba Farms. So you got to literally cl- climb back down half this mountain. You got to cross those two rivers again. Then you got to go up two ridges and then you're going to get to the ma- main mountain that you came down the wrong side of. <laughs> and then, you know, the two more ridges and then you'll be there at the lodge. Easy. So I was just thinking, okay, well, I mean, I was super relieved that at least I knew where I was now. But then also super bummed because I had to walk most of the day again. <laughs> so I was pretty tired. And of course, no sleep and no food because I ran out of food. I hardly had any water left too, like a couple mouthfuls. Farmer was like looking at me going, can you 
you know, are you hungry? I'm like, yeah. But of course, they didn't have anything like their house was close by. They were just in the fields with the cows kind of thing. So he tells me to wait and he gets pulls out this milk jug and just starts milking one of the cows and hands me like hot, fresh, unpasteurized milk, which was disgusting. But it was very, very sweet gesture. So I did take a couple mouthfuls. And then they kind of pointed me on my way. I was like, okay, thank you so much. Because, yeah, they were my savior, basically. And then went across the first, went, well, down the hill, across the first river. And as I was crossing the second river, one of his oldest, the 10-year-old daughter, was waiting for me on the other side of the river with another little jar of milk. Bless, very sweet. And then she was like, she kind of mimed that she was going to take me to the, the base of the path, the main path that goes to the lodge and I was like which I never saw or maybe that is the one I came down just the wrong side of it actually so bless her very very sweet so she walked with me a good 45 minutes got me to the base I even walked up a little bit of the mountain because she was very worried <laughs> that I would get lost again so was I to be honest but anyway so yeah like literally just through determination and grit you know, climbed back up over the two ridges, up the mount, the main mountain, and then basically I got down to the bottom of the main mountain. And I was like, oh my gosh, here we go. And I could actually, on my way down, I could see the road that went up to the lodge. So I was like, okay, at least I'm closer by. But somehow I missed the path on the other side, like the proper side of the mountain, to the lodge. I don't know what happened. I very faint pathways at times. So I end up walking too far and I end up in the middle of what's known as the haunted forest. <laughs> I did not need any more scares. Got out of that forest and then found the path again. And then finally, finally made it back to the lodge about 4 p.m. Ecstatic, but exhausted, completely exhausted, starving as well. And of course, the, the people at the lodge were like, oh, well, if you weren't back by tomorrow morning, we're going to send out a search party. I'm like, well, I'm glad I didn't, you know, break my leg or get mauled by an animal or something and had to wait two days. <laughs> or I could have waited two days and not had to do all that climbing. But anyways, I was back. I was very, very happy. Yeah, so I basically just had some something to eat and then went to bed at five o'clock and slept till nine in the morning the next day. So the next day, so this now be day 383, I took it easy <laughs> because I was pretty sore all over. Plus, I had lots of little cuts and nicks, especially on my legs from grass and rocks and things like that. So I was like, nope, I'm doing nothing today. Just chilling out, taking the scenery. And then uh, Colin, he came by and he was like, well, why don't you come to my place for dinner? Because he just lived down the road from the lodge. So I was like, okay, so had dinner with him a couple beers and then walked back to the lodge another early night and then uh, the next morning I was like okay I'm gonna get going oh yeah and one other thing I want to point out so I don't look like a complete moron <laughs> but the day I got lost in the fog someone else did who like was part of the local mountaineering club so someone who does this all the time got lost as well so that's what I mean it was you know pretty scary and when you can't see anything and also, when I was walking back the next day, I was wearing contact lenses. Remember, this is like back in the early 90s. So they're not like disposable, soft, like thin ones now. They're pretty hard, 
I mean, there were soft contact lenses too, but they were, you know, a lot thicker than they are nowadays. So walking back, I could hardly see because my contacts were glued to my eyeballs and it felt like sandpaper were my eyes. So that didn't help matters much either. <laughs> but anyway, so yeah, a couple little notes there. So next day, <laughs> I got a lift back in the back of a work construction truck. So it was 10 kilometers to the border towards the Sandy Pass. I got there, but I had to wait till about 2.30 in the afternoon and then managed to get the customs, South African custom guys, to drive me the last eight kilometers, the Sandy Pass High Lodge, Top Lodge, sorry, Top Lodge. That eight kilometers, because it was like a 90 degree angle, the top of this mountain, it took 40 minutes to get there. But it was all good. I was in a new country, so... I think this was country number 23 on this trip. So I was in the situ, country number 23. So that was awesome. And I'm on the top of a mountain at Sandy Pass. And luckily the lodge there was a nice big lodge. It was a little bit expensive. But Elizabeth, who ran it, she was so nice, this local lady. And Lesotho, you're in the, like, again, you're still in the middle of nowhere. I think even more remote, really, because not many people live in Lesotho. Not people, many people go to Lesotho. Although Prince Harry loves the suit too, so he's been there many, many times. He's, he's set up charities there as well. Also, once I got to the lodge, they had a big fireplace, which was really nice. But I now have a cold, probably because of sleeping in the forest, soaking wet, not great. So not feeling great. I'm in higher altitude, and I really wanted to do this really big hike, but I was just like, I don't know. <laughs> I think I've just done my big hike. <laughs> Anyway, so you'll have to listen to next week's episode to hear about Lesotho. And of course, there's going to be some crazy adventures. You know me by now. So make sure you subscribe so you don't miss a step along the way. And the rest of the summer, I'm just putting out an episode every two weeks and we'll play it by ear. But of course, before we go. And now it's time for Tam's Top Tips. Tip number one would be to... Yeah, don't go hiking in the fog or mist or maybe even solo. <laughs> I mean, nowadays you could have, you know, bring your mobile phone with you. So make sure you take the phone number of the lodge or wherever you're staying. Although I really, even nowadays, don't think you'd have mobile coverage out there in the middle of the mountains, but who knows. Also, because the weather changes like that, like literally in minutes, make sure you come prepared. So bring a flashlight, bring a lighter or waterproof matches, probably even better, like warm clothes, so water, food, things like that. So go prepared. Tip number two. So there is lots of good hiking trails in the Drakensbergs. I would say probably the top seven would be the Rainbow Gorge, Chain Ladder Hike, the Lower Incinthi Cave, Cathedral Peak, Menwini Mountains, Dragon Mountain and the Giant Cups Trail. So yeah, there's plenty. And Drakensburg are like in Lesotho and South Africa. And then tip number three, if you did want to go to Sandy Pass where I was, then you could do like this this one trek. It's 59 kilometers. And you go from Sandy Pass to Bushman's Neck. So it'll take you about four days to do that. And you don't have to be super fit because there's no mega climbs. And apparently the trail is well marked. <laughs> you don't have to follow goat trails. <laughs> and then for solo female travelers, obviously hitchhiking 
I mean, I did hitch pretty much all the way back to Nairobi by myself. And I did some hitching coming down. But, you know, the number one thing is listen to your gut. If it doesn't feel right, don't get in the vehicle. I mean, I often rode in the back of a pickup truck or back of trucks or even on the roof of minivans <laughs> in the luggage rack just because I, I could escape easier if for whatever reason. But I have to say, like, I got super, super lucky with all my hitching. I mean, I was always picked up by men, but it all went really well, actually. You'll hear about some of that coming up very soon in the next couple of episodes. And don't forget... Please, please, please never travel without travel insurance. Trust me, I learned once from the hard way and never again. <laughs> this is the travel insurance company that I use and they're awesome. They cover over 130 different countries. So go check them out. Manyroadstravel.com forward slash insurance, double L and traveled. And don't leave home without it, as the saying goes. <laughs> Not only is it great for you, but it also helps support the show. Thank you. Yeah, so have your wits about you, and again, because now you have phones and things like that, and you can have, uh, like, you know, put on your tracking so people can find you with your tracking on your phone. Might be a good idea. Okay, so that's about it. Of course, like I said, subscribe to so the website, manroadstravel.com. I guess that's a wrap for this week. We'll see you next time. Okay, safe travels, one road at a time. <laughs> <laughs>